Welcome everyone to another episode of the Mega Pickles. I'm your host, Chris, along with my dilly half, Ken Explorer of Light, Mr. Bruce Dorn. Welcome out of the bottle, Mr. Dorn. You know, somebody told me that the door was ajar, so I thought it was safe to jump out and we'd still be in a jar, but nope. It just Somebody left the refrigerator open and I'm feeling kind of, you know, hot and bothered by it, to be perfectly honest. We, uh, maybe somebody added a little pepper into our jar, make us a little spicy now. And I always picture us hopping out of the jar and uh, running out of the a jar door there. Uh, it's probably like one or two o'clock in the morning. You see a couple pickles running down, running here, running across your kitchen floor. And just to, to wreck people's, you know, day and give them a really uncomfortable mental image. Oh boy. We dress like Donald duck, you know, we wear little vests and jackets, but no <laughs> pants because, because that's a part of cartoon physics. You're allowed, you're, you're allowed to, be considered uh, wholesome and 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 you know not frightening as long as you have a jacket. <laughs> hey, you guys! Welcome to another episode of the Mega Pickles. Today we're going to be talking about how I got the shot. And uh, on our last episode, Bruce kind of gave us the intro about. Uh, tabletop photography, and there's an image that he has in mind that he would like me to talk about. So, Bruce, take it away. Yeah. So, um, it, it, I've picked an image that Chris posted, and I believe he was talking about it uh, on his tutorial Tuesdays, or he at least posted it uh, in April, I believe. And it it looks to me to be a a peacemaker, um, shooting iron, a, a smoke wagon, a a single action 45 and uh, it's a, a beautiful tabletop shot there's a cigar there's a great surface and and the uh pistol uh is photo is illuminated and presented in such a manner that it would make a, a great advertising image uh, tabletop is something that ha has been a lucrative side hustle for me over the years i imagine for you as well uh chris and uh, tabletop can include, you know, just uh, sculptural coverage of inanimate objects. It can be uh, food. It can be all kinds of stuff. And this can easily be an area of photography to help pay the way. There are people who make things. There are people who prepare things. And those things need uh, wonderful, desirable, tasty, attractive imagery. And I think this is just a really tasty shot. It, I will, I will sort of uh, preamble this to say that if you can shoot a shiny object on a tabletop, you're learning all the things required to be able to shoot a Ferrari or a Maybach or a Porsche GT3 because you are what you're doing is you are actually creating the reflections that help to define the contours and the shapes of the object. Whereas you might shoot food really minimally and replicate window light on a lovely autumn morning where the light streaming in lights up that pumpkin pie just perfectly. When you're shooting metal or glass, you're, mm. you're into <laughs> another entire discipline because you're actually 
lighting things that reflect into it, or you are creating big, broad sources. And Chris has done a masterful job on this. Tell us about it, Chris. Well, thank you for the intro on that, Bruce, because it really lays a foundation for uh, the tabletop photography. As you said, you know, it's been a lucrative side hustle for you. And I got to tell you, it's it's one of my, um, what would I call it? Maybe just it's a part of uh, the creativeness inside of me that needs to fulfill something. And this is such a great way to do that. Um, For me, when I, maybe when I'm at a loss of what to shoot, you're banging your head against the creative wall, if you will, grab something, put it on, put it on the floor, put it on a stool, put it on a tabletop and photograph it. You know, use, you can use window light. You can, you know, use any light source that you want. It it is such a fun way to scratch that creative itch. On this particular image that Bruce is talking about, uh, for for my birthday this year, my wife, uh, Joe, bought me this pistol, this revolver, and it's it's a revolver that I've wanted for quite some time, and she surprised me with it. It, it just photographically, it's one of those it's one of those things that that I just love to shoot. So setting up this image, what I wanted to do was make it just a little harder. Now I have created some other images of this uh, of this revolver and what I've done is I've placed it at an angle in the first image and shot top down. But in this particular image I wanted I wanted to go a step farther and that is place the gun at an angle but make your perspective instead of top down come back on it about 45 degrees. And what that does is um, it it forces you to do what's called focus stacking to get the whole image in focus. Now, I, I haven't gotten, I haven't uh, got this whole image in focus because I let it go out of focus towards the uh, towards the end of the end of the revolver and where the cigar sits. Um, in doing that, in choosing a perspective that is not up and down, you know, for, from top to bottom, I should say, what what that does is it splits your focal plane, and now you need to uh, you need to change your focal point. You need to move it down, and you have to start uh, in your head keeping track of the parts of the revolver that you get in focus because that's one area that you're going to have to focus on in post-production. Then once I feel like I've gotten the, the whole revolver in focus, then I move on towards the lighting. How am I going to light this? And for me, instead of using natural light here, as Bruce pointed out, you want to be able to light the contours of the subject that you're photographing, whether it be a revolver, a Ferrari, um, a cupcake, perhaps. Um, I've side note: I've done a lot of food photography as well. Uh, in with even with our mutual friend uh, Waylon Lucas, we've I, I've gone up and and done some fun stuff with her. Um, 
but in in this case, once you've gone through the focus stacking, now you want to focus on your lighting, and the lighting for me needed to complement the contours of the revolver here, and the barrel of the revolver the um, is just I don't know I I love it I love the contours of this revolver from from the the handle of it up to and including the barrel, um, even, you know, even the trigger, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's one of those things that really gets me going when I look at it. So using a light, uh, what I was using here was my Explorer 600 heavy. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking around with it and I wanted edge light on there, uh, edge light being, or I should say hard light. Um, I needed hard light on there because I needed that light to fall off really quickly on the contour of the revolver. And so to the front of the, to the front of the Explorer 600, what I did is I added a reflector cone. It's almost like what we talked about in another episode, Bruce, about you adding a, a beauty dish to uh, the shoot that we talked about, yours, your behind the shot, Aces High. Um, I used a reflector cone here, and then I, I put just a very simple diffuser that comes with it. It's just plastic. It, you know, it just goes right on the front of it. And then I started taking multiple shots. It did require me, however, to review the image on the back of the camera to make sure I was getting the right lighting that I was going for. And so one of the most important things about doing this kind of work is that you lock off the camera. This, you cannot afford one not even an inch, an inch is, and if, if your camera moves an inch, your image is ruined, but we're, we're talking minuscule, um, you know, millimeters here. You, you get that focus set, you get your composition set. And then what you do is you turn autofocus off on your lens and you make sure the most important thing is that camera doesn't move. So it's on a tripod and then you start remote remotely firing it or you could you could also um use the timer on the camera mm -hmm. as well um i'm remotely triggering the camera with uh, with my app you know the canon connect app and and then Very i'm choosing heavy. yeah exactly um and then i'm choosing where i want the focus in every one of those images then, as I said, we move on to that lighting, and that lighting has to has to enhance the contour of uh, the subject. And for me, it's um, it's the barrel of the revolver itself. And then, now that you've lit it, you've gotten you know what you feel to be are all of your exposures, all of your images that are going to make your final image. Then you take it into post-production and, you know, years, years, many years now since Photoshop has come out many years, a decade plus, a couple decades down the road since Photoshop has come out, Photoshop has progressively gotten better and better. 
And in focus stacking images like this, you can you can use um, an automated script in Photoshop and select the images that you want, and it will do its best through AI to choose the images where um, images are in focus and out of focus and then stack those together. And for this one, I would say Photoshop got it 70% accurate. You can also do the exact same thing with lighting too. So now that you have your image focus stacked, now you can add in that lighting and hopefully that lighting matches what you did in the, in the focus stacking. But if it doesn't, you can manually paint in the light. And what I mean by that is in Photoshop, you can choose the images that have the best lighting that contour your subject. And then you can go in, add that layer and what you would do, and this is going to be, this might be advanced for some of you, but what you're going to do is you're going to add a layer on top of it that has the light that you want. You're going to change that layer's blend mode to what we call lighten. And lighten takes the brightest part of the image and adds it over top of the image below it. And then if you add a layer mask, you can paint out the parts of the image that you don't want in there. Um, you know, just the light part of it, you know, is what you want in there. So then you could paint out the rest of it. This image is a combination of, I would say, Bruce. Oh, shoot. Um, 15 to 18 different images. Yeah. Get, yeah. you know, to get your focus on, to get your light painting on. Um, but, if I look back over the last decade plus, um, light painting, you know, where we're, I mean, literally we're painting the light onto where we want it and then taking multiple exposures and combining those in Photoshop. I've used that technique countless times to create images that I need. I've used it in uh, wedding parties. I've used it I've used it for, you know, as you know, one of those deeply emotional images that I made for someone, um, probably using 15 images to create this one memorial image for a lady's son. Um, it, light painting has allowed me to create images where you couldn't otherwise create them. It's not something right. that you can make with just one shot. So it is an amazing additive process and, uh, correct. Just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just try recapping here. You basically, you, you're going, this is the process of building an image and you're building it, uh, in a, using a couple of different tools, but always start with a foundation. So you looks to me like you picked a great, uh, surface that has texture and will respond nicely to, angled scraping light it has contours it has legitimacy uh, i've shared with you that sometimes i will take pictures of really great surfaces that are too big and cumbersome to mm -hmm. bring home to the studio and yeah. then make prints and if if i'm really thinking ahead i might shoot a piece of textured granite or wood or whatever and uh 
I'll light it from several directions, the same exact surface. Take a flash with me and light it from the left, from the top, from the right, from the bottom. And then when time comes to make a print to do, uh, to serve as a surface, then I'm, I'm accurate in terms of the lighting direction for the subject I put on it. But in this case, looks like a natural surface. You're, you're getting an impossible amount of depth of field here. And, and that's where this focus stacking comes in. There, there is another tool that can be used, and it is specifically a tool, and it's called a tilt-shift lens. Correct. Uh, to, to just sort of remind everybody what we're talking about here, the plane of focus is exactly parallel to the sensor or film plane. So if Chris puts his camera on his lights on his uh, camera stand or tripod, weights it down, finalizes the composition, makes sure the composition is what you want because you're going a long way down this road. Yep. It's a long way back. Yep. If you just go, no, I should have tweaked the camera <laughs> a little bit. So you, if you were to throw a cap gun on the uh, the your, your desk to try to replicate this. And uh, as soon as you start to focus, well, where do you focus? Do you focus on the butt of the pistol? Do you focus on the trigger? It, at these close distances, you can stop down a long way. You could be down at F-22, F-32. And if you're focused on a given object, in a given part of the pistol in this frame, I can promise you that F-32 is not going to get it from the butt to the barrel and all the way nope. to the ash on the cigar. It's just <laughs> yeah. not. So you've got a little narrow plane of focus made deeper by choosing a high F-stop. I'll take a side trip to say the deepest stop, the highest number, isn't the sharpest. It's just the one with the most of depth of field. Just as at the other end of the scale, I like to shoot a little bit stop down from wide open. I like to shoot a little bit opened up from fully stopped down for best optical performance. But so let's say Chris focused on the trigger guard. That's about a third of the way into the depth of field. And mm -hmm. generally depth of field occurs one third in front and two thirds behind the plane of focus. It just wouldn't happen. But he made us, if you can almost imagine doing a series of slices, he'd shoot probably at the very butt of the gun, the middle of the, of the butt, Trigger, back of the trigger guard, the hammer, the cylinder, the, the and then work your way down the barrel. Each one of those is going to look goofy because it's only going to be sharp in the area you focused on. So what you're doing is you're either manually or using software to put those together so you get the sharp parts and leave out the unsharp parts. Yep, yep. And for that, the lighting needs to be consistent. You can't just like have one of the areas of sharpness with the lights turned off or move them suddenly. So you kind of got to marry the lighting and you kind of got to marry the composition unless you're animating the light. Were you walking the light through the scene? Were no. each of those focuses? Nope, nope. So it wasn't necessarily light painting in the sense that we're using a 15-second shutter. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just popping that light on at, you know, oh, shoot, you know, maybe half a second. Uh-huh. So you you couldn't like halfway through your focus stacking suddenly change your lighting pattern. That's right. That, that would that would look really wonky because this you would start to reveal the slices that you're adding together. But um, yeah, and 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 when you shoot a reflective object, the light source is going to be perfectly reflected in it. 
the fact that those nice long white highlights on the barrel and the ejector rod chamber and the cylinder uh, all have this nice long quality to them indicated to me that the light source was relatively big in relationship to the gun. That's right. Uh, so as I'm close or big, as I'm walking uh, with the light, when I'm getting ready to take the shot, uh, you know, distance from me to the, to, uh, or light to the revolver. Oh shoot, Bruce, maybe six inches. Yeah, it's it's very very close. Yeah, and you know I should also point out that what I'm one of the things that I'm doing here is I'm starting out with a base exposure. Uh, my my aperture doesn't change throughout this entire process. What I did choose was f five six is what I shot mm-hmm. everything at here, and I was using my seventy to two hundred at. 200 millimeters. So those two things, well, even, even my, um, shutter speed for that matter, doesn't change throughout this whole process. It's what does change is me walking up to the revolver with the light, you know, hitting the timer and saying, okay, I'm going to move my light up just a little bit or down just a little bit or you know turned in more towards the the camera lens that's what's Mm -hmm. changing but yeah if you blow this up if you were to take this to a larger scale and and throw in that ferrari Mm -hmm. 458 you notice how the 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 chamber door that opens to be able to load the cartridges that's all defined nicely it, it, this the biggest of big bucks are doing wristwatches, uh, yes. diamonds, uh, expensive automobiles, airplanes. There is no better paying work than product photography because they want it right, and they want that logo to be glistening. They want it to be pump jumping out of an otherwise. Uh, you know, interesting. It has to all look interesting, but you really are working for the designers of the product. You're showing every facet and you're highlighting the most important facets. So if you get into doing this kind of stuff, and I used to do a lot of full line automotive work, you, you land the entirety of Toyota. You don't get a job. You get the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You get enough work to feed you for several years off of uh, one gig because they got to shoot all of the lineup in a similar manner. So it's it's really a, an aspect of photography that is stupid lucrative and is always going to be around 3D renderings because so much stuff is now designed uh, in you know CAD. Um, they can create renderings, but there's still a great place for product photography. Now, this thing that you did here, we noticed there's no hand in there. There's no, uh, you know, hand holding a shot glass of tequila. <laughs> as soon as you add any kind of subject that can move, even the pulse of your hand <laughs> or breathing of a shot, because this is a, a, a takes a long time to produce something like this, doesn't it, Chris? It, it does, gotta, yeah take you got to commit patience to this kind of work but it's really gratifying when you get it right yeah it all in this this probably took half hour to 45 minutes um Mm -hmm. getting getting that light right is critical 
Uh, even going back to the other episode that we did with your uh, how I got the shot, I'll, I'll tell you what it's that it's the light that makes that image for me. I mean, everything is so beautiful in, in your image, but it's that light on her face that just separates her from the background. And for me, it's the light on the revolver that makes this pop for me. It's the light coming back on the handle of the gun, the hilt there, you know, with the texture in that wood and the light streaming down the cylinder and then onto the barrel and to the end. Those, those things in particular, um, just just make this image pop for me and here's the other thing is when i go when i go to load the revolver um i i know what the metal feels like on my right thumb when i open that gate up and it just i don't know that it those are the things for me that just motivate me to create an image like this yeah, taking the emotional and turning it into a visual mnemonic that other people can share that that feeling, that experience. Uh, we're going to jump back for a second to the camera support. Um, yes. I, I hate working with tripods, but there are times when there's no other choice. There is yep. no better solution. It is the thing you have to do. But I'll throw a little few tidbits out. Uh, if When I'm setting up a shot, I always find the composition handheld uh-huh. I, because I can make micro adjustments. I'm not fighting the tripod. I find a point in space, a focal length, a distance that feels good to me. I note where that is. And then essentially I bring the tripod in and find the camera rather than putting the camera on the tripod and yep. going around yep. trying to find the shot. Yep. And, and <laughs> traditional tripods are really horrible for doing tabletop. That's why they make camera stands. You've been to my shot studio yep. and you've seen that massive stand with about a 500 pound base and a <laughs> yeah. big monopod centerpiece. It allows you to move the camera up and down on ball bearings, in and out, left and right, all over the place. It floats. And then when you lock it down, it's, you could just about hit it with a car and it wouldn't move. But, when doing something like this uh, in, in on a big project where we're light painting a car on stage in a studio for a big Hollywood ty- type of project, we literally build a, a barricade around the camera with mm-hmm. police warning tape. You Nobody get near this. We had occasion one time where a, a Fisher dolly that was holding the camera on a locked off shot, we were working on a locked off shot for days where we had to move the interior components, the bucket seats in and out of the minivan or whatever. And we came in one day and the camera was a foot and a half higher. And we were looking for the saboteur who had ruined all the work. <laughs> and actually what it was, was that it just had a hydraulic leak and its hydraulic brake gave out and the camera just decided to relax a foot and a half higher than it had been. And we literally had two by fours and clamps, nailed the two by fours to the floor, clamped the two by fours to the dolly. And it had torn the wood out of the floor because <laughs> it was, you know, heavy duty uh, hydraulic uh, dolly that could do that. Uh, critical that nothing moves during the shot. Uh, if you're working with a regular tripod, uh, I will hang my gadget bag from the tripod in between the legs to just plant it or carry a shot bag or a sandbag or something like that to keep the thing stable. The action of moving the focus, 
uh, you know, it's, it's, there's parfocal lenses. Some lenses will actually change size as you focus them at different distances. So some, a, a higher quality lens is going to make this a lot easier for you. Chris, one thing that I, I would, I imagine that our listeners would be interested in hearing, how come there's not a million shadows? How come there's, you know, if you were moving the light around, did you end up picking up a particular plate from that series of images, which we call plates? And uh, use that for the background. Yep, that's right, Bruce. So when I said uh, I start off with a base exposure, what I mean by that is I, I'm starting off with a shadowless background. I, I need to start with what we would refer to as a very flat image. Um, and to this image, I'm going to build everything off of that. And <clears throat> I'll take... Um, you know, towards the end, just to give myself uh, even a little bit more insurance, um, I'll do kind of an around the world lighting on this, uh, on the base that I'm shooting on. It happens to be uh, just a stool, a stool that I enjoy sitting in the sun in the barn door having a cigar. <laughs> That's what this is on. And um, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take it from, oh, maybe four to six different angles and make sure it's shadowless. I'm not looking, I'm not looking for shadows in this image. Yeah. I noticed you're just one component away from a visit by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. <laughs> so uh, you better watch your P's and Q's here, buddy. <laughs> well, that, that's been enlightening, Chris. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us. I, 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 I like you, our, our dirty little secret is that we enjoy doing photography of inanimate objects. It gives us a chance to really get into the detail-oriented parts of our minds. And this, uh, the things that you learn doing small objects like this translate. They translate extremely well. You know, you could be, there's a number of areas where people in the Western lifestyle space could take this kind of knowledge and expand it, you know. Dodge trucks, yep. haul horses. Somebody's got to photograph those Dodge trucks. Knowing how to photograph that Ram logo and make it look beautiful. Because mm -hmm. you know, Chrome is nothing but what is reflected around it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an interesting uh, whole discipline to shoot something that is highly reflective like glass. Or how do you shoot in mirrors? There's so many other things. Well, you know, I think we should do more of these breakdowns, Chris. This is fun. well, just to preempt. Uh, uh, you're going to be coming up in July for the photo retreat that uh, uh, that Wayland's going to be hosting. Well, I should say it'll be co-hosted by us and Wayland, and we'll be doing some uh, some tabletop food photography there and that's gonna, yeah. not only do we get to play with photography we also get to eat good food eat food yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i lived through the era when the food the ice cream was made of mashed potatoes you know <laughs> and and things like that where if you came in and gobbled something up you could be in for a horrible surprise but yeah that these days truth and advertising has got to be right and yeah. I'll, I'll drag up my uh uh tilt shift lenses because they, mm, sure. they are, great idea. This is another whole thing, a tilt shift lens and the get ready for this word, Scheimflug principle <laughs> is is one that is 
not taught that much anymore, but it is a technique that's made to uh, be able to accomplish in camera what we now do with computers, or at least get close to doing in camera what we now do with computers. So now let uh, me. That's fun, and we'll address that sometime. Well, uh, I, I'm going to throw one more thing out there, Bruce. Um, Don't do it. Oh, Don't do it. oh, I am, and maybe we should address this, or you know, just talk about it on a future episode. I recently saw that Burger King is being sued for false advertisement because of their uh -huh. photography. Oh, um, it happens all of them. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's a thing. Uh, you, I mean, we all know this as consumers. You, you go in, you see a beautiful picture of a hamburger. It never looks like that in your hand, ever. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really lived through the, <laughs> the conflict time of that. Uh, it used to be that you're shooting uh, Campbell's uh, um, alphabet soup. Well, they would put about, you know. You've got the soup bowl, and there's the soup, and all the little letters are floating handsomely on the surface. Uh, that's because there's a whole bunch of marbles in that bowl of soup to hold the the alphabet uh, noodles up at the surface. Um, we used to shoot under hot lights, so you would use, like I said, mashed potatoes instead of ice cream. Yeah, yeah. I, I recall I recall doing a McDonald's shoot, and it was you know they have that little apple turnover, apple popover kind of pastry thing and you know invariably you want it with a bite out of it and it stands to reason to the food stylist that you would see a little bit of apple you know like a little bit of apple pie filling but there was very there was very strict instructions on that because it's mostly like an applesauce type type compote or something in there mm -hmm. and maybe you get a chunk of actual apple so you certainly could not show two chunks or three chunks, you know, and the way that the lettuce comes out on the side of the bun, you know, when they put really in reality, they put one sad little piece of lettuce that got stuck to somebody's shoe and ended up in the sandwich. <laughs> I'm not saying they do that at any of these fast food places. I'm a pickle, not a lawyer. Um, but no, uh, the, the whole process of uh, um, truth and advertising uh, extends is heavily involved in food photography and it's really there in any products that are being sold to children sure because you cannot yep. you cannot imply that toys actually fly when you know you have to show the kid animating the little fighter uh, spacecraft with his hand you can't have it flying through space unless the thing actually flies through space there's there's a lot involved behind the scenes in doing stuff that passes the scrutiny of legality. Bruce, I think this is a perfect segue into a future episode. You know, maybe we talk about um, the ethics of photography. Maybe that's a maybe that's a topic. You know, from food photography to even defining, you know, an individual definition of what editing is. You know, some, mm. we, we know that, you know, throughout the industry, boy, Photoshop has gotten a, a bad rap and kind of comes with a stigma of, oh, that person's been Photoshopped or something like that. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good, mm -hmm. good, good episode. Yeah, we'll jump on that as well. All right, my friend, let's hop back in our bottle. Hopefully nobody finds us out here on the table and puts us on a hamburger. Oh, my. Yeah, exactly. Stay crunchy, my friend. 
you too. With that, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Mega Pickles. You can find us on Instagram at the underscore Mega Pickles and on anchor.fm the dash Mega Pickles. Leave us a message. We would love to hear from you. And if there's any image that you would like Bruce or I to talk about on how we got the shot, please go ahead and just let us know. With that, Bruce, we are back in the bottle.